The other night I was talking with my friend Sinke, and he was explaining to me how when a member of the Mende this is people. How when a member of the Mende encounters a situation where there appears no hope at all, he invokes his ancestors. You see, the Mende believe that if one can summon the spirit of one's ancestors, then they have never left. And the wisdom and strength they fathered and inspired will come to his aid. Hello and welcome to History and Film. I'm Rich Simmons. The practice of slavery has existed in human society for thousands of years. The use of African slaves in North America predates the United States itself and is often called our country's original sin. The idea of a predominantly white nation having black slaves is merely incidental. The visual distinctions between slave and master had rarely ever been so stark. However, by the time the colonies were declaring their independence from Great Britain, black skin was synonymous with slavery, and those of African descent were generally viewed as lesser people even by those who recognized their humanity. In the northern colonies, abolitionist movements gained steam at the end of the 18th century. The northern economy was far less dependent on slave labor, and by 1805, all the northern states had abolished slavery. The importing of slaves was outlawed nationally in 1808, though the domestic slave trade continued legally in the South. Even most of those who defended the practice of slavery tended to see it as a necessary evil. Thomas Jefferson compared slavery to a beast we had barely at bay. He wrote, We have the wolf by the ear, and we can neither hold him nor safely let him go. Justice is in one scale, and self-preservation in the other. The film Amistad opens in 1839. It's a Steven Spielberg movie, so his cinematic intensity is on display from the first frame. We see a close-up of black fingers picking away at wet wood around a nail. The fingers are bloodied in the effort, but successfully pull the nail free, and a slave in the bottom of a ship is soon free of his chains and frees his fellow captives. The slaves grab weapons and attack the ship's crew, killing some and seizing control of the vessel. They keep two of the Spanish crew alive to sail them back to Africa, but the sailors trick them by sailing north at night. The Amistad is captured off the northern coast of the United States, and the Africans are arrested and held in Connecticut. This is contrasted with a jump to the elegant and spoiled life of the young Queen Isabella II of Spain, eating cake and jumping on her bed. She would have been just eight years old in the summer of 1839. Spain has a stake in the trial that is to follow as Spain is still involved in the slave trade and the Amistad is a Spanish ship. We also meet President Martin Van Buren, who is in the middle of his re-election campaign. He says he doesn't have time to be bothered about this case. He says, there are three or four million Negroes in the United States. Why should I concern myself with these 44? The initial hearing in Connecticut ends up being a bit of a mess because several parties have a vested interest. First, the court intends to charge the Africans with the murder of the Spanish crew. Second, a liberal journalist we've met shows up to argue that the Africans were acting as free men and should be allowed to go back to Africa. Third, the U.S. Secretary of State, John Forsyth, shows up on behalf of Martin Van Buren. He wants to honor a U.S. treaty with Spain and return the Africans to them as their rightful property. Fourth, 
The two U.S. naval officers who found the Amistad say the Africans are their property as rescued salvage from a captured ship. And finally, fifth, the two surviving Spanish crew members of the Amistad show up with a receipt for having purchased the slaves and claim them as well. We also meet former President John Quincy Adams, who would have been 72 in 1839, and is played here by Anthony Hopkins. He's a respected elder statesman, who now serves in the House of Representatives for Massachusetts, though there's a strong undercurrent that he is seen as the lesser son of a greater father, and a line to that effect is even said at some point in the film. The men who want to advocate for the Africans on the Amistad and hope they will be set free, one of whom is played by Morgan Freeman, approach Adams hoping to get a high-profile advocate for their cause. They're convinced Adams is an anti-slavery advocate, but he equivocates and seems unwilling to publicly support them. So the men go to Roger Baldwin, a lawyer played by Matthew McConaughey, who offered to help them earlier. They initially turned down his help because he was too callous. He believed they could win, but by arguing the Africans were illegally acquired goods. But the men shuddered at the thought of calling them property of any kind. So now, Baldwin slash McConaughey is on the case. The film puts a big emphasis on the language barrier and shows several sessions in court with Baldwin unable to speak with his clients, but this issue seems to have been a relative non-factor in reality. The murdered captain of the Amistad had his personal slave aboard the ship, and that slave served as a translator for the Africans in court, but not in the movie. The fate of the Africans ultimately comes down to where they are from. The Spanish say they are from Cuba and were born slaves. Baldwin insists they were born in Africa and were illegally brought to North America. The Spanish have their bill of sale from Cuba, but it is exposed as a forgery. Baldwin is allowed to search the Amistad and finds a manifest from a Portuguese ship called the Tecora, a ship involved with the West African slave trade. This is huge for multiple reasons. The court was ready to side with the Spanish as the Amistad is a coastal vessel. It wasn't built for transatlantic travel. They now have the proof that not only were these men acquired from overseas, which is illegal under current U.S. law, they were taken from Sierra Leone, a British protectorate, and as such, were kidnapped and could not legally be slaves anywhere in the world. It's all pretty complicated, but I think I'm understanding that correctly. The prosecution, and President Van Buren himself, seem to simply to not want to believe the slaves are from Africa, to the point that they replace the judge on the case and then appeal the case to the Supreme Court after the federal district court in Connecticut ruled in favor of the Africans, despite them having placed the judge they thought would side with them. So yes, in 1841, we get the U.S. Supreme Court case of the United States versus Schooner Amistad. Baldwin is concerned because most of the justices themselves are slaveholders. They finally recruit John Quincy Adams to speak on their behalf, and the court does ultimately rule in favor of the Africans. Basically, though they killed members of the ship's crew, they did so as kidnapped people simply fighting for their rightful freedom. And that's basically the movie. It gets into more detail along the way with the relationships between the men, specifically Baldwin and the man who becomes the spokesman of the Africans, a man named Sinke, played by Jaimon Honshu, an actor you'd no doubt recognize if you don't know his name. He played Maximus's buddy in Gladiator. The closing text of the movie says, William Henry Harrison defeated Martin Van Buren to become the ninth president of the United States. 
Queen Isabella of Spain continued to argue the Amistad matter with seven more American presidents. In 1864, her hopes of compensation finally collapsed with the Confederate Army's defeat at Atlanta. Cinque returned to Sierra Leone to find his own people engaged in civil war. His village was destroyed and his family gone. It is believed they were sold into slavery. So a big criticism of the movie seems to be it's trying to connect this case to the North's relationship with the South and an impending civil war if the North continues to challenge the South on the slavery issue. I feel like this criticism is about half justified at best. The film definitely tries to depict this case as a wedge between North and South, perhaps more than it actually was, but so too does the film center on the fact that their whole case was that these men aren't slaves in the first place. Sinke was the actual name of the leader of this group of Africans who helped lead their capture of the Amistad. He was a member of the Mende people of Sierra Leone. The Mende are one of the two main ethnic groups of Sierra Leone. For about a century and a half, from 1808 to 1961, Sierra Leone was a British colony. The area doesn't have as ancient a history as other parts of Africa, though people have been farming there for over a thousand years. It seems to have been a tough environment to populate with swamps and dense rainforests. The name Sierra Leone is adapted from the Spanish and Portuguese for Lioness Mountains the name given to the hills surrounding its now capital city of Freetown, so named as it was settled by former North American and English slaves returning to West Africa. Freetown was established 50 years before Cinque and his fellow Mende were captured. The British had even set up a college in Freetown in 1827. Whatever conflict the film mentioned Cinque returning to when he went home wasn't significant enough to make it onto the History of Sierra Leone Wikipedia page. Today, the Mende people there are still largely hunters and farmers. It's a predominantly Muslim country, though they are very religiously tolerant and over 20% of the population is Christian. We haven't spent much time in Spain thus far on our timeline, and I don't want to get too in-depth today, but I did want to mention that Isabel II of Spain was, not surprisingly, descended from the famed Ferdinand and Isabella, who funded Columbus's voyage, but... She was also descended from Louis XIII and Anne of Austria of France, who we met in The Three Musketeers. Her ascension to the throne actually led to civil wars in Spain. Many didn't want a queen and wanted to put Isabella's uncle on the throne. She was ultimately deposed in 1868, though her three times great-grandson is the king of Spain today. Martin Van Buren was one of the founders of the Democratic Party in the United States, Though keep in mind, our parties have constantly shifted to chase voters and have little in common today with their founding. Van Buren was elected president in 1836 and followed the popular, at the time, Andrew Jackson, who endorsed him to succeed him. We see him campaigning for the 1840 election in the movie Amistad, though that's another mistake in the film. Candidates didn't travel the country campaigning for president in the same manner they do today. By the time the Supreme Court handed down their decision in the Amistad case, Van Buren had already lost his re-election campaign to William Henry Harrison of the Whig Party. The country was in a recession at that time, and that never bodes well for the incumbent. Despite his concerns over the political fallout from the Amistad case, Van Buren was actually a leader in the anti-slavery movement after his time as president. He ran again in 1848 as a member of the short-lived Free Soil Party, This likely split the Democratic vote and allowed Whig Party candidate Zachary Taylor to win. Van Buren later returned to the Democrats, but supported Republican Abraham Lincoln during the Civil War. 
And one last little piece of trivia on Van Buren, he was the only U.S. president for whom English was his second language. His parents were Dutch immigrants, so he grew up speaking Dutch at home. Roger Baldwin was elected governor of Connecticut just a few years after his success with the Amistad case. He followed that with a stint as a senator. We also get a cameo at the end of the film from John C. Calhoun. Calhoun was the vice president under John Quincy Adams and the first term of Andrew Jackson. He then served as a U.S. senator for South Carolina, which was interrupted briefly by a stint as secretary of state under President James Polk. Calhoun was a fierce defendant of the institution of slavery, which is why he gets a cameo here. Ironically, his reputation was for defending the rights of the minority in national politics. That is to say, not the rights of ethnic minorities, but of those holding a minority opinion, like that slavery should continue. He shied away completely from saying slavery was a necessary evil and straight up said it was a positive good, that the Africans were better off as slaves in the U.S. than they would have been as free peoples in Africa. Calhoun ran for president in 1844, but lost the Democratic nomination to Polk. Finally, John Quincy Adams, played in Amistad, as I mentioned, by Anthony Hopkins. He was groomed for a life in public service as the son of John Adams. I recently watched the HBO series John Adams, and it was neat to see the Hopkins character here as a young boy and then a young man and connect the thread through to this film. John Quincy Adams was our ambassador to the Netherlands during George Washington's presidency and later ambassador to Russia for James Madison. He was then Secretary of State to James Monroe and helped craft the famous Monroe Doctrine of 1823, which basically said Europe was no longer welcome to colonize in the Americas, North or South, nor would the United States interfere with Europe's existing colonies or affairs. John Quincy Adams was elected president in 1824 in a closely contested race between four men, all from the Democratic-Republican Party, that had to be decided in the House of Representatives. Today's Democratic Party splintered off from the Democratic-Republicans and beat Adams in 1828 with Andrew Jackson. Instead of retiring, Adams went back to the House of Representatives, which is the capacity in which we met him in today's film. Indeed, he had become, in many ways, the national face of the anti-slavery movement in the 1830s. Though the speech he gives before the Supreme Court in Amistad is not the one he gave in reality, he did argue on behalf of the Africans for four hours. A quote from his private journal reads, For what can be more false and heartless than this doctrine, which makes the first and holiest rights of humanity depend on the color of the skin? He died in 1848 at the age of 80. We're at a point now where it's hard to keep up with our elsewhere in the world at this time, so... Not that I was all-inclusive before, obviously, but big things are going to start to inevitably get missed. The Amistad case was going down right in the middle of the two-decade-long Trail of Tears, where the United States forced Native Americans to move west. Not only were Natives forced out, but the conditions of their journeys west were a disaster, with people dying from exposure, starvation, and disease along the way. The First Anglo-Afghan War also began in 1839, essentially a conflict between Britain and Russia set in Afghanistan. In 1843, the Chinese signed Hong Kong over to the British, and the Irish potato famine began in 1845, leading to a mass migration to the United States. Indeed, for decades, from the middle of the 19th century on, many groups flocked to the United States. And that's what we'll look at in more detail next week with a 1972 Best Picture nominee, The Emigrants, starring Max von Sydow. <laughs> 